There are multiple of you out here this morning as I looked around who I don't know or know well. So if you are a guest, welcome. Uh, There are the cards in front of you. I'm sure Carl mentioned it. There are the cards in front of the seat or in the seat in front of you. If you fill one of those out, that gives us a chance to A, say hi and give you a little gift thanking you for being here, but also really, it gives us a chance to reach out to you so that one of the staff can, can connect with you, hear your story, get to know you a little bit more uh, over coffee or lunch or something like that. Now, let's pray, and then we will jump into uh, this next set of the spiritual gifts. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us your son. We pray, Lord, that you would be honored and glorified in us this morning. Please, Lord, allow us to sense your leading and your guiding, to recognize your spirit, to be convicted, to be encouraged, to be built up. We pray that you will be the center of our thoughts and minds. Keep distractions from us. Allow our hearts to be strengthened in you. And it's in your Christ's amazing and holy name we pray. Amen. And so as we, as we jump into the need of spiritual gifts, this isn't just the need that each one of us possesses. This is the collective need of, of this body in particular for the spiritual gifts because God created us to be one body with multiple moving pieces all at the same time. But do you know what happens if a part of your body isn't working right? September 12th, 2020, I was helping somebody move a washing machine They were just moving into their house in Algona, and we were taking the washing machine off of a semi-trailer on a handcart. Five minutes later, I'm like this. Okay, not quite five minutes later, actually. Five minutes later, this finger, and I have pictures to prove if you want to see gross, disgusting things, I had a massive injury to this pinky. It got smushed between the hand dolly and the ramp. It was not ideal. So I went to the emergency room. They sent me to Mayo Clinic. They did several hours of surgery, put six pins in my finger, tried to save it and let it be quasi-functional. 14 weeks went by and eventually they cut it off. In that 14 weeks, the only thing in my body that was hurt was a pinky finger. But do you know how much of my body hurt during those 14 weeks? Every single bit of me. Because my body needed all of its parts. And when one part was hurt to that level, my whole body felt it. And I was exhausted by the pain. And this isn't a story about, oh, poor Brock, don't feel bad for me ever for anything. That's just what you need to know. But a pinky finger caused my body to not be able to function right. 
because the pinky finger couldn't function right. Now, in the body of Christ, we have similar things. We're not all going to be the same role, and that's part of the message for this morning, the need of the variety of gifts. Uh, We can't all have the same role. But when one of those roles can't function the way it's supposed to, our body, this family of people, should feel that. Now, you're not always going to know, but if we run out of the gift of teaching, we don't have teachers any longer, and that, that facet of our body is no longer functioning, we can't work right. If we don't have exhorters or encouragers, we can't function the way we're supposed to. If we don't have servers, if we don't have merciful people, if we don't have prophets, if we don't have one of the gifts, our body suffers. But as microcosms of that, we have boards and ministries at the church. What happens there? How do those boards and ministries function? Those boards and ministries need spiritual gifts, just like the body needs spiritual gifts, just like the individuals need spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we're going to begin this morning. It's verses 12 to 21. Let's go ahead and read this. And if you're, if, you're not, uh, if you're new here, there are QR codes in the bulletin. You can follow for all of the scripture passages that we'll be going through this morning on your phone, or you can use a Bible and flip to it, which is better. What's less distracting? Because I have never had a, hey, you have a new message pop up on my Bible, and I do have that on my phone. I'm not joking. This, anyway. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear were to say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would, the sense of, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. That last verse, if you're reading in most Bibles, you'll see that it is a different paragraph. Uh, but the idea is, is moving along with it. Uh, you are part of the body. If you're part of the body, and I don't mean a member of Bethel, that's one thing. But if you are a part of the body of Christ, you are a believer in Jesus, and you find yourself here, member or attender, 
you are part of the gifts that we are using. You can't say, oh, I'm not part of the functioning of this body because of X, because my gift isn't as good as this person's, or it's not the same as this person's. That doesn't make you any less a functioning component of this body of people. And that last verse is saying, let's use me as an example. I can't say, oh, you don't have the gift of preaching, so you don't really matter. You don't have the gift of X, so you're not really relevant to this. So you're not a needed part. No, this passage is telling us that A, every part is needed. B, every part is needed. And C, every part is needed. And you're here because God chose to put you here. Uh, we can't miss that in this. And we've talked about it before. God chose to put the members as he chose. He arranged them as he chose. Meaning what? Meaning that God looked and said, Bethel needs this person's gifts right now. So I'm going to put them here. But, but more than that, if you want to think about how cool this concept is, God not only chose to put you here because you happen to be alive and in the area, but God ha- chose to have you be in the area. But more than that, God chose to make your gifts and your person alive right now. I realize your mom and dad's DNA connected and it made a person, but that's under God's specific control still. And so God chose to have you created as a person in this point in time so that you could be in Marquette, so that you could be part of Bethel, if that's what you are, so that his body could be built up. That doesn't make you any more valuable than you really are. But it makes you valuable. Right? Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but also don't think that you're not relevant because God chose to have you here right now. How do we use these gifts? This one body, many members, many parts functioning together. Well, let's take a step back and let's look at the vision for Bethel. We desire Bethel to be a place where people can heal so that together we can grow for the purpose of outreach to our community, all the while serving one another. So let's take a look at these things. If we want to use and utilize the purpose of healing, we're going to need people who understand what some of those things are, whether it's natural gifting or spiritual gifting. The spiritual gifting in this one, as a particular, would be something akin to the gifts of mercy, because we're not talking about healing Brock's pinky, right? It's, it's broken and it's gone. We're talking about healing a person's soul. What healing does their soul need? What, what hurt do they have that needs to be addressed? We come back to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. But he, uh, this servant, this, this king, this sufferer, that is prophesied about, which is Jesus. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. 
again, it's, it's Old Testament, so it's Hebrew, it's poetry, so it's written in parallelism, which means a statement is made and then a like statement is made. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. That's the healing. By his wounds we are healed. That's the healing. That's the peace. So this peace that we receive is the healing of our souls because we are broken. We desire to be a place where people can heal so that together we can grow. And the growing requires a different set or a complementary set of gifts. They're not all going to be different, but they're going to complement each other. And the growing is going to be the recognizing of truth and applying that truth to life, which would be your prophets and your teachers. The prophet discerns truth, expresses truth. The teacher guides into action. And those two together, if the teacher guides into incorrect action, we are of no value. If somebody can tell you truth but not have, you, have any way to help you get there, it's of no value. Because the value is the development that happens in a person's character, not the knowledge in a person's brain. So we need both of these as we seek to grow. And the growing particularly, so, so when we talk about being healed, we are healed what? We are healed by the gospel. This servant who died, who was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, we are healed by the gospel as we talk about growing, we want to not only be a place where people can heal, but where together we can grow. We need the gifts to help people grow. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 24. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. That's your dead life. And is corrupt through its deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. What is it to grow as we're healing? What is it to grow? It's to become less like me and more like Jesus. To have my broken self put to death, put off, discarded, and to put on Jesus, to look like him, to act like him, to think like him, to desire like him. The old self is broken. The new self is what we need. In this case, in this concept, we are now growing in the gospel. So we're healed by the gospel. We grow in the gospel. We have outreach of the gospel. I realize this is lots of prepositions thrown around. Prepositions are valuable. If you didn't know that, hear me. I am a grammar geek. Prepositions are important. We are healed by the gospel. We grow in the gospel. We have outreach of the gospel. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Part of that power is the gifting that he gives us. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. He's not asking us, let's be clear, 
He is not asking us to utilize evangelism. He is telling us to utilize evangelism starting in our spheres of influence, the place where we are. That's here, right? That's, that's your friend group, your work group, your family units, spreading out to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. That's the, the region, the area, and then extending out even beyond there. But if we start on the outside and say, hey, we've got people in, I don't know, the Congo, we've done our part. We've missed part of the command. And that's the here. That's the outreach of the gospel. We take the, the healing that we understand, we take the growing that we understand, and we bring it to people and say, here's what Christ offers. He offers your dead self to be made alive so that you can be like him, healed and eternally with him to not pay the penalty of your sin, but to let him pay it for you to be forgiven and given life. Why? Because he values you. And through all of that, we serve through the gospel, which would include through our gifting. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each has, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as a good steward of God's varied grace. Now keep that in mind. We've used a word that we have to make sure we're defining correctly and grace is that which you have, a gift you've been given that you don't deserve. So now use this serving one another out of the understanding that you don't deserve whatever it is that you're serving other people with. Why? Because what you deserve is punishment for your sins. And what God offers instead is life and then gifts through his spirit. And that's what we are to do. Now, we step back from all of that and we may say, well, but, but we have multiple people who have similar gifts. Why? I don't have seven hands. I don't even have 10 fingers. Sorry. I shouldn't look at my kids when I make terrible jokes. I don't have seven hands, but I have two. I don't have five feet, but I have two. Why? Why the repetition? The other day, I was at, well, actually, a better example is back when Isaiah was two, four, two, something like that. It was little. I was sitting in his room. You know how when your kids are little, you have to clip their fingernails? Sometimes when they're older, you might have to do that too. That's a different story. But when your kids are little, you have to clip their fingernails and they hate it. So you do it as little as possible. Or you don't realize how bad it is until they, you know, reach out and grab your face and they leave marks. You're like, that hurt. We need to clip your nails. Well, one day Isaiah's nails were like that. And I was in his room and I had, we had a big whole day long leadership conference going on at our church that I was pretty much leading I wasn't the only one leading, but I was all day I had stuff that I was doing and I needed to be there at 7.45, let's say. And at 7.40, I said goodbye to Isaiah 
and he went to point at something on this side of me. He was sitting over here, went to point over here. His finger went behind my glasses and hit my eye. And his sharp little fingernail ripped a gouge out of my eye that looked like a rocket ship upside down. I ended up in a doctor's office, an eye doctor's office, because I, it was, at first I thought that it was just like he got something in my eye. And so I went and, and it wasn't. It was, there was a chunk of my eye, not where it should be. So he gave me drops, did all sorts of stuff, put this contact lens thing on there. I couldn't see a thing out of that eye but I could see out of my other eye. And I have two eyes for a reason. I realize it's to give three-dimensional depth perception, not the point. I have two eyes so that when this one had to be covered and it couldn't see anything, this one could still see what was going on. God gives us people with the same similar gifts because one person can't be doing it all, which we have every church. This is not a condemnation of Bethel. Just realize this is a general statement. Generally, churches say, well, that person has that gift, so I don't have to do it. Uh, they're already doing 25 hours a week of volunteer stuff at the church. I don't need to do it. They're covering it all. They might be covering it all, but they're not the only one who can be covering it all. We have two eyes so that two eyes can be looking. And when one eye is hurt, the other can cover for it. But both my eyes work all the time unless something's wrong. In the same way, our body needs to have multiple people accomplishing the same goal because we need different, well, let's talk about the boards. We need different leaders for every board. We have five ministry boards at the church. Each one of those boards needs a leader. You can't say, well, Brock has the, spirit, or the gift of leadership, so we don't need a leader on all these boards. I'm not even at their meetings. They need somebody to lead them. They need somebody on that board to encourage each other because there's going to come a point where you're exhausted by what you're doing, where you feel down. You feel like you're not accomplishing what you want to. You need somebody to encourage. You need somebody who has the gift of prophecy to be able to recognize truth. We need these moving components on our boards. We need these moving components on our ministries. Remember, we said some are going to be more heavily weighted toward one or the other, but those ministries need the giftings. Now, our boards also need that. So, so in this year, as we come to the nominating of new leaders to these positions, what we really need to see, and, and this is a statement particularly to you boards, and then the rest of us as we come along them to figure it out, we need to see you say, what gifts uh, is our group lacking that we need to put on this board? I'm not talking strong-willed, able-bodied people. I'm talking what spiritual gifts do you have? What spiritual gifts are you missing? How can we put on your board the gifts that you're struggling to have so that your board functions as a well-rounded unit able to accomplish what the board is asked to accomplish? But that's not just ministry boards. That's all of the ministries that we're involved in. And if we just use the people we've always used, you know what we don't have? Enough people with enough varied gifts to cover all of those things. But it forces us to ask a question, which is, do you know your gifts? 
If you don't know what your gifting is and nobody around you is able to tell you what they see in you as your spiritual gift, how are we going to know how to utilize you? Let's pretend my hand doesn't understand it's a hand. It thinks it's a foot. Or it doesn't even know that it exists as a hand. It doesn't do me a whole lot of good. I need a hand that understands that it's a hand for grabbing things. It's a hand for picking up things, for moving things, for pushing buttons. And I push a lot of buttons, different kinds of buttons, actually. My hand needs to understand that. And when my body parts understand how they are to function, you ever watched a two-year-old try to learn to walk or a one-year-old or whatever age they are? They don't understand how their feet work. They don't understand how their legs work. They have to learn what those pieces are and how they function in walking so they can walk. In the same way, we need to know what our gifts are so that we can utilize those gifts so that our body can grow the way it's supposed to. That is the easy half of the sermon. The second half of the sermon, which, which grows out of that, is how we use some of these particular gifts. In order to understand how we use some of these particular gifts, we need a starting point. And that starting point in the use of gifts and the fact that we need these gifts starts with 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, admonishing, and correcting. I just gave you two different translations. Let's just read this instead of me speaking out loud like a fool. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. I memorized it when I was in elementary school, and now the ESV that I use and the NIV that I used to use, it's all a jumble. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So, so we know that first part, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That's what the scripture is for. So that the man, being the person of God, may be a complete man, a complete person. Not a partial person, half-baked, half-formed, but a complete person. Equipped for every good work. Equipped for all the things that God has asked of you to do which Ephesians 2.10 says that he planned those in advance that we could walk in them, good works. We're equipped for every good work and now he has set those up for us to walk in them. How do we do that? How do we walk in those things? How do we utilize these gifts? So let's go back to Romans chapter 12, verses six to eight. Romans 12, 6 to 8 is our, our crux passage for this as we're utilizing the gifts and seeing these as categorical things. 
Verse, starting in verse six, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, in, if service in serving. So the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads in zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Okay, the first one gets us into a, a, a new realm where we need to ask some questions, understanding gifts the way we are supposed to so that we can utilize those gifts in our corporate body the way we are intended to for the edification and growing of this family of people. How do we do that? One of the answers to that is this. This is not the best topic for a unilateral communication. I am the one speaking. You are the ones listening in this moment. And that puts us in a place where questions aren't easily, easily asked. So we've got a growth group class starting in March. And if you want to engage more on this, we're going to hopefully be in a place where questions can be asked where we can engage with what are the gifts that each one of us has and how do we utilize those particular ones. But for right now, we're going to talk about what are called the sign gifts. Sometimes people refer to them as the miraculous gifts. And sometimes people refer to them as the charismatic gifts, all depending on sort of what your upbringing is. What do we do with those? What is our understanding of those here at Bethel? And then what sort of latitude is allowed scripturally? Because if we, if we latitude ourselves outside of what scripture says, we're wrong. It doesn't matter what else we're saying. If we understand the gospel and we differ in various ways, but it doesn't take us outside the gospel, it doesn't take us outside the parameters of scripture, then we are okay. So I grew up a cessationist, which means this, uh, my family believed our church functioned as though the gifts of tongues and healings and prophecy, those miraculous gifts, no longer happened. End of story. That's how I grew up. I can buy that. Seemed legit. Certainly, it seemed in line with my experience. And then I went off to college, I went off to seminary, ended up at a church, and then got asked to join a family at a Jesus film something. They've got a word for it. It's a, uh, they get a whole bunch of people together and they, they bring people in to share stories of how the Jesus film has impacted them. And the story went like this. It was a guy from a small tribal community in somewhere in Africa. I don't even remember where. I don't even know they told us where. He hadn't met white people before. He was the witch doctor leader of their community. And he had a dream that white people were going to show up and tell him how to get to heaven. He didn't know of white people. Two days later, two guys from the Jesus film, white guys from America, show up and offer to tell him how to get to heaven. And my cessationist brain imploded. It didn't know what to do with that because his dream and this prophecy that he seemed to have lined up with A, what happened, and led them to the gospel. So what do we do with that? I think it's relatively simple. And the answer comes in the form 
of the Wizard of Oz. I know. Dorothy and crew show up to speak to the wizard. And the giant head pops up and starts telling them the things. And then little dog, blasted little dog, goes and finds the guy behind the curtain. And he says, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. And what is the man behind the curtain doing? pulling all the levers, running all the switches, saying all the stuff that this big miraculous head is supposed to be doing. And in our communities, by and large, when those type of things happen, not, I'm not saying believers. Right now I'm saying the community, the Marquette community, the Michigan American community has a tendency to say, Who's pulling the strings? Who's the guy behind the curtain making this look like it's happening, but we all know it's really not? So in our context, is, are those things any longer leading people who don't believe the gospel to a belief in the gospel showing its validity and power, or are they being cynical and these things drive us to deeper cynicism? I think it leads us to deeper cynicism, which is why in other places, and an argument can be made that we simply don't have enough faith, and we're not going to get into that right now. That argument can be made, but that's why in places where the spiritual realm is seen and understood to be real, consistently real, interacting with people, then the power that's there, the power of the gospel showing these miracles leads to salvation not to cynicism. What does that mean for us? I'm going to make a presumption, a wrong presumption, I'm sure, that we are all believers in Jesus in this room, listening online right now. Let's just presume that. It's simpler for us. If you're not, then let's start at the beginning where you need to know and hear and believe the gospel to put yourself in a place where we could be growing in the faith. What do we do with things like tongues? Uh, how does Bethel function in that way? We need to understand and remember that the use of these gifts only functions when used in the way Scripture tells us to use them. So what does the Scripture say? What does the Bible tell us about how to utilize these gifts? 1 Corinthians chapter 14 becomes our crux. And we're just going to read a few things and lay them out. These conversations can be had longer at a later date. But 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we're going to start in verse 13. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What does that mean? It means that when he's praying in a tongue, in, in words that he has no idea what are, his spirit may be edified and, and putting itself in a place where it's communing and connecting with God, but his brain isn't working because his brain has no idea what he's saying. Is he condemning tongues in that sense? No. What is he saying? Down in verse 
19. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So he's saying, to start with, let's understand that when you pray in a tongue, your spirit is connected, your brain is not. And in the body, I would rather say five words that my brain can connect to and other people can understand and grow with than 10,000 words that are gibberish and mean nothing to anybody except in perhaps my soul connecting with God. It's not a comment on how your soul should or should not connect with God. He's saying if that's what's gonna happen, do it when you're at home so that you are connecting with God, but in corporate where you're growing together, edifying one another. Okay, down in verse uh, 27. Let's jump to verse 27. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only, now he's talking particularly again about in the body. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three and each in turn. And let someone interpret. Why? Because verse 22 tells us, thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Well, prophecy is a sign for believers, not unbelievers. Tongues are a sign for unbelievers, not believers. Why? Acts chapter 2, verse 8. So the Holy Spirit has just come upon all the apostles, all those in the upper room, tongues of fire coming down, they're talking and telling people stuff. And Acts chapter 2, verse 8 says, and how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? So that would be like Brock speaking, and this section over here only knowing French, this section here only knowing German, this section here only knowing Hebrew, and this section, oh, that's not a good one, it's a dead language. This section over here only knowing Spanish, and this one, ancient Hebrew, don't give me that look. This section over here, sorry, <laughs> this section over here only speaking Russian, and I'm speaking English, and each of you is hearing it in your language, which is why if now, right now, I were to start speaking in a different language, a different tongue, because somebody down here only speaks Russian, I would need somebody else to be able to tell everybody what I just said. Or it's not edifying to the body. It's only edifying to the one. And here, we're looking to be edifying to the body. Prophecy goes the same way. In order to speak, possibly three. No more than that. So if you're ever in a circumstance where everybody's speaking in tongues at once in a church service, it's outside what the scripture is telling us. Can it happen? Sure. God can do that. But there has to be a reason that it edifies the body or then it's not intended to be a body thing. It's intended to be an individual thing. And if there's prophecy, especially in this, if prophecy is for unbelievers, not believers, and an unbeliever shows up and you tell them the future of something that's gonna happen in 10 years, is that gonna convince anybody of the validity of the gospel? No, that's where prophecy has two components. One is for telling the future, and one is forth telling the truth, that truth that cuts deeply to the heart of a person. That's the gift of prophecy. So how is it used? It's used if somebody has something to say, they state it in order, without chaos. Why? Because verse 33 says, 
for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. He's not a God of confusion, not a God of chaos. He's a God of order. And when it all comes down to it, all scripture is breathed out by God and it creates a completed person. One of the most iconic, incredible experiences ever had by humans outside of going to heaven is the transfiguration where Jesus rose up, levitated off the ground. Moses and Elijah came down. They all glowed like gods. They, these two bowing down to Jesus and it was witnessed by three people, Peter being one. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 19, he says, I was there at the transfiguration. I'm paraphrasing. I was there at the transfiguration. I saw the most incredible thing. And we have the scripture, which is more sure than that experience. Another part of why, in part, the things that we see in places that don't have the scripture is different than places we see that do have the scripture is that Peter says the scripture is more sure than any experience you can have. But if you don't have the scripture, then God uses those experiences to bolster, no, to validate the gospel. So that what? We may be equipped for every good work. So that the plans that God had in advance, the good works for us to walk in, we could do because we've been completed and prepared by his whole word to do it as we use our gifts in this body because we need them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for allowing us to give you our minds and attention. We thank you for all that you've done for us. We pray, Father, that you would be honored and glorified that you would be exalted and lifted up. We pray, Father, that you would be pleased with us, your children. It's in your amazing and holy name we pray, Lord. Amen.